you're all doing well. We have now come to the close of our series on the five core beliefs of Calvinism. And before we launch into the heart of our study today, I would like to just recap what we've covered so far, as well as emphasize a few important points that I really don't want us to forget as we wrap up the series. Now, first, I want us to remember that while we may agree or disagree with the five core beliefs of Calvinism to different degrees and at different points, as long as we can agree on the core gospel, which is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, then we should be able to allow some room for disagreement in some of the other details. Now, that's an, a vitally important point for us to remember. In fact, if that's the one thing and the only thing that you take away from the series, I'll be very pleased with. Jesus tells us in John 13, verses, uh, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say that the defining mark or characteristic of being a Christian was that you would have a particular brand of theology. He said that the thing that will make you stand out and the thing that will truly identify you as one of his disciples was that we would love one another. Now, I believe that that one another in this passage is, yes, certainly talking about all people, including believers, but more to the point of our discussion, the world will know that we are really Jesus' disciples when Christians stop attacking other Christians for differences in secondary doctrines. So, the point is, whatever you think, Calvinism, whatever you think about Calvinism at the end of this study, I hope that you will have a better understanding of this belief system and more love for your brothers and sisters in Christ as they seek to understand God's amazing mystery of salvation. Now, to sum up what we've covered so far, we've said that Calvinism is the most, uh, is most often uh, associated and explained through the acronym TULIP, which stands for Total Depravity, Unconditional Election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, these doctrines tend to be defined in various ways, so that you so you, you really need to be uh, clear when you're discussing these concepts with other people. Now, the five doctrines of Calvinism, as they're most commonly defined, tend to logically flow one to the next. Now, for instance, this would look like this. With total depravity, Calvinists believe that people are so thoroughly corrupted and addicted to their sins that they are unable to save themselves. Because people are unable to save themselves and not everyone will be saved and God knows all things, then logically, according to Calvinism, God knows those who will be saved and those who won't be saved. Calvinists continue this line of thinking by saying that what separates these two groups, those that are, God knows that will be saved and those that God knows that won't be saved, what separates them can't be anything innately good in those who are saved. For example, those who will be saved can't be people who have faith, while those who aren't saved can't just be people who don't have faith. If that were the case, then there's something praiseworthy and good about those who are saved, which made them better than those who are unsaved. Therefore, they've earned their salvation. It can't be anything innately good with those who are saved that differentiates those from, from that are not saved. Calvinists see this as a works-based salvation if we begin to say, well, the thing that differentiates these two groups is the faith of one of them. To 
who avoid this, they hold to the belief of unconditional election. Instead of God choosing to save those who he foresees or foreknows will have faith to salvation, and choosing only to allow those um, without faith to spend eternity in hell, God sees them all the same and does not factor in those who he knows will believe in those that he won't. He simply chooses some and not others. That's an important point because God only chooses to save a few um, individuals. This, uh, this gift of salvation, which was purchased and applied only to the few, or is what we understand as limited atonement. That's what the Calvinist belief that since everyone's not saved and only a few are saved, God only purchased the few that he chose, not the few that he rejected. Now, because God chose to pardon only a few, he will work and apply his grace to those select few in such a way that they will inevitably be drawn to and accept the gospel. This is the belief of irresistible grace. None of those who have been chosen will refuse the gospel, and none of those who are passed over or rejected will uh, be given grace to accept salvation. They won't want it because God hasn't given them grace and a heart to want that salvation. <clears throat> and this brings us to the last doctrine of salvation, according to Calvinists, and that is, if God is sovereign and pulling the strings throughout the whole process from beginning to end, then it stands to reason that he will see it through to the very end. No one who has been saved will ever be able to lose or renounce their salvation. This is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Now, out of all the doctrines of Calvinism, this is one of the most popular uh, of those doctrines. You probably heard it uh, mentioned in statements like, once saved, always saved. Now, because this is such a widely held belief among many Christians, I'll only briefly touch on some of the verses that are cited to support this doctrine, and then I'll focus the rest of our time in showing you what critics of this belief say. My hope in doing this is to give you a better idea of some of the opposing views so that you can better articulate and defend your own beliefs. Now, we need to look at a few of the verses that are often used to support perseverance of the saints or once saved, always saved. The first verse, and probably one of the more popular verses that are pointed to, is John 10, verses 27 through 29. And in that passage, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, again, as I said, this is probably one of the most cited verses for perseverance of the saints. Here, Jesus clearly teaches that once someone has been given eternal life, they will never perish, and they will never be snatched out of God's hands. It's easy to see why this is such a popular go-to verse for this particular doctrine. It's very clear and straight to the point of the security of believers. Another verse that is often pointed to is Philippians 1.6, and it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This, again, is a very clear and compelling verse, and it ensures those who have accepted Christ as their Savior will continue in that salvation until the end. Now, some of you may be wondering about those who seem to be Christian but then later abandon the faith. After all, there are numerous examples throughout history and even into this present day of people 
who appeared to be born-again Christians, but at some point in their life walked away from the faith. What about those individuals? Well, it may surprise some of you to know that there are passages in Scripture to point to this very thing that is aggressively debated in Christian circles. So let's turn our attention to some of these verses that some of you may be less familiar with, and then we'll circle back around and hopefully land this study uh, at a place that makes a little bit of sense. So one of the famous passages that deal with this idea of people once being in the faith and then falling away from the faith is Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6. And it says this, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, this, ver this verse seems to be indicating that there may be some who, after being saved, can abandon Christ and forfeit their salvation forever. But how can that be, especially in light of the previous verses we just read? Now, keep in mind that there is a lot of discussion among pastors and scholars about this passage and others like it. There are a lot uh, of working theories about how this fits with the best uh, with the rest of biblical teaching. But the main thing I want you to keep in mind when you come to passages like this and others like it is that Scripture never, ever, ever contradicts itself. It is um, not always obvious how different passages can be reconciled, but that is what we always have to strive for. We know that God will never lie. He will never contradict himself. And so while it may be hard for us to understand what he has divinely inspired the writers of Scripture to, to write for us, we need to strive to reconcile those verses. Now, please do not ever take one passage of Scripture and build your whole theology out of one passage, especially some of these obscure, controversial passages that, passages that a lot of people have struggled with. Instead, take every passage and make sure it lines up with the rest of God's word. Now, another verse that causes some Christians to scratch their head is 2 Peter 2, verses 20 through 22. And it says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the, uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Now, this is another passage that some have taken to indicate that there are those individuals who, after accepting the gift of salvation, chose to return, uh, chose to turn their back on it and forfeit the gift of eternal life. Again, as puzzling as these passages and others can be, remember, we have to prayerfully consider how all of the divinely inspired teachings harmonize with one another. So let me give you a few of the ways that Christians throughout the ages have tried to understand these passages. First, there are some Christians who believe that you can lose your salvation, that either you can lose it, uh, lose your salvation any time that you sin. If you just randomly sin throughout the day, then you have to stop. You have to pray to accept Christ again and be saved all over again. You have to pray to receive Christ every time you mess up. Or some of them believe that if you sin a lot or if you sin in some big and significant ways, then you can lose your salvation. And so this view is kind of 
uh, um, as if there is a cap or a limit to your sin, and, have, and, and once you pass that limit, then you have to pray to receive Christ again, or if you sin in some big and significant ways, then you have to pray to receive Christ again. The main Christian denominations that tend to hold to this view are Roman Catholics, uh, Eastern Orthodox, and some United Methodists. And so, in one form or another, these various branches of Christianity teach that you can, in some form or another, lose your salvation. Now, slightly different from that group are those Christians who believe that you can't lose your salvation, no matter what sins you commit or how, or how often you commit them, but they would argue that um, just as you chose to accept salvation and follow Christ, you can also choose to forfeit or reject your salvation once you have accepted it. Now, this view is a little bit different from the previous view in that it contends that um, no one can pluck you or steal you from God's hands, but you can remove yourself if you so choose. Those who hold this view do so in an attempt to reconcile the various passages of Scripture that talk about an apostasy or a falling away from the faith that, it, uh, that we see in various passages. They also tend to stress this view that you can forfeit your salvation, not lose it, but forfeit your salvation, because they believe that it maintains human free will after salvation, whereas, according to them, the ability to abandon, um, abandon your, uh, not the, the inability to abandon your faith, that, that you can't lose your salvation, means that believers have less freedom than they had before. And so they say that in order to maintain that free will, that we as believers should have more free will, not less free will than unbelievers, that we can, just as we accepted salvation, we can also reject salvation. Now, while this is not a very well-known view, there are many Christian denominations who have had some form of this conditional perseverance of the saints, as it's often called. Now, some of the denominations that hold to this would be Mennonites, uh, Episcopalians, some Baptists, especially the Free Will Baptists, uh, Lutherans, Methodists, Pentecostals, and even Quakers. Uh, those are just a few of the Christian denominations that hold to this particular type of conditional perseverance of the saints, that you cannot lose your salvation, but you can freely forfeit your salvation. Then last, but certainly not least, are those who hold that no truly born-again believer will ever lose or forfeit their salvation. I, I emphasize truly born-again because this view holds that those who are born-again, truly born-again, will never lose their salvation, never forfeit their salvation. But there can be people who appear to be Christian who do, who, who do fall away from the faith. This is the traditional perseverance of the saints doctrine championed by Calvinists and others. Those who hold this view believe that any reference in scripture to an apostasy or falling away from the faith is simply referring to those who outwardly appear Christian but were never really truly saved. One prominent verse that is often cited for this is 1 John 2.19 which says, they went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they um, that they all are not of us. And so I know that I can uh, get a little confusing the wording there, but basically saying 
the reason why certain people have fallen away from the faith and have gone out from the church is because they were never truly saved. They were never really a part of the Christian body. And so this is a very popular view amongst conservative Christians. It is widely seen in Presbyterian churches, Southern Baptist churches, and various other non-denominational churches. So that is the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, and that is the conclusion of the five points of Calvinism. Now, I hope that this, uh, by this point, you have a better understanding of this system of theology. I hope that you have a better grasp of where you fall with some of these beliefs. For those who would like to dive a little bit deeper into this topic or other um, beliefs within Calvinism, I would just recommend a few resources. One phenomenal resource, uh, resource is Norman Geisler's book, chosen but free. Uh, he goes through the various doctrines of Calvinism, shows the two extremes of these views, and then charts kind of a middle course of where um, where he thinks uh, Christians should fall given the biblical evidence. Then there's also uh, Dennis George's uh, four views on divine providence. There are a lot of books within this counterpoint series this is one of them it's called four views on divine providence and it talks all about the it gives four various views on god's um sovereignty within salvation and within life in general and each of the views is argued by someone who holds the view and then it's um there are counterpoints they um the other authors with, that are collaborating within that book then pick apart the various arguments and so it gives you a, a very well-rounded view of the various beliefs and you can decide for yourself what has the most biblical evidence to it then there's also david uh, basinger's uh uh, predestination and free will, four views on divine sovereignty and human free will. Again, it's one of those uh, counter, counterpoint uh, um, books where it presents a bunch of different views on it, and then it lets you decide for yourself where you feel the, most of the biblical evidence uh, lies. And so I, I offer those to you for those who want to dig a little bit deeper. I hope that you um, wrestle with these concepts yourself and come to an understanding of what you believe scripture teaches. And we're going to kind of leave it there for this series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's given you a lot of food for thought and help you understand your beliefs as well as the beliefs of those who you may encounter and that you'll be able to interact with them in a gracious and humble way and they will have greater unity in the body of Christ. Now, next week, we're going to begin a new series called Big Objections. Now, in this series, we're going to take an honest look at some of the big objections that people have when it comes to uh, belief in God, uh, belief in sin, salvation, Christian morality, and basically anything that keeps people from embracing the Christian faith. And my aim in this series is that it would be a good series for Christians who want to better be able to defend their faith, as well as a good series for anyone who has doubts and, and questions about Christianity. So I encourage you to uh, recommend this to your family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, uh, for them to watch, listen to uh, this new series, and hopefully God will bless it and answer some of the questions or objections that, that people may have. So until then, I hope you take care and God bless.